I used to love watching Seinfeld when it was on air for some nine or so seasons, and I was sad to see it go, but I was also a little disappointed uh, with their uh, series finale. When it was uh, announced that Seinfeld would be going off air, they wanted to end on top. They were going to have their, their big finale. I was a little disappointed. <laughs> but then when you think about it, what can you expect from a show about nothing? <laughs> I mean, that's what the show is. If you're a Seinfeld fan and you used to watch the show Seinfeld, you know that it was a show about nothing. They would just take a bunch of nothing and put it together, and somehow they made a success out of it. And so with the last finale or the final show, I was expecting something big and huge and great, but again, it was just a show about nothing. But that final episode, if you remember, it was actually about something. Seinfeld and all of his friends, they had plane trouble, and so they had to land in this particular town. While they were waiting on a new plane, they were walking the streets where they see this man being mugged, being robbed, being carjacked. And they're there on the sidewalk watching all of this, and they're laughing at him, and they're making jokes about him. Kramer even takes out his video camera, and he begins to film this carjacking going on. Well, after it is over, the man goes and gets a cop that's nearby, and after he tells him what happens, he looks over across the street, and he sees Seinfeld and Elaine and Kramer and George there, and he goes to him and he says, all right, guys, y'all are under arrest. <laughs> so wait a minute, under arrest? We didn't do anything. And he said, exactly, you didn't do anything. In this town, in this city, in this county here, we have a law that you are supposed to intervene when deemed reasonable to do so. Because you did absolutely nothing when you saw this crime happening, you saw this event taking place, guess what? We are holding you accountable as well. You are now in trouble just like the carjacker was because you did absolutely nothing. They said, well, we never heard of this law before. He says, well, it's a new law, and it is called the Good Samaritan Law. The Good Samaritan Law, of course, it comes from the parable that Jesus gave one day when he says there was a Jewish man who fell amongst thieves. He was robbed, he was beaten, he was left for dead. And while there on a road, a Levite came by, a priest came by, and did absolutely nothing. Then a rabbi, a teacher of the law, came by as well, who crossed on the other side of the street and kept on going. But it was somebody, as we said last week, somebody on the other side of the track. A Samaritan, remember, Samaritans and Jews had no dealings with each other. They were divided by race. But it was this Samaritan, this good Samaritan, who decided to come to the aid and to the rescue of this Jewish man and to render help to him at no uh, uh, thinking that anything was going to come back to him at all. He took money out of his own pocket. He went to the keeper of the inn and said, take care of this man. Here you go. This should cover all of his expenses. If there are anything more, then when I come back, I will pay it then. This Samaritan didn't just stand by and do nothing, but he rendered aid when aid was needed. Now, if you remember, Jesus gives this particular parable in response to a wise guy's question. <laughs> they had just asked Jesus, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all the Bible? Out of the 613 
explicit laws and commandments we find in God's Word, which is the greatest? Jesus simply said, well, the first is this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. But then he said, the second is just like it. You know you are loving God with all that you have because you are also willing to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Don't tell me you love God, but you can't stand your neighbor. Don't tell me you love God, but you hate your brother. Don't tell me you love God and you're worshiping God and can't wait to see God, but you can't stand those who've been made in his likeness and for his glory. No. God says it is to love the Lord your God with all that you have, and you know you're doing that when you're able to love even your neighbor as you love yourself. That is the greatest commandment, and upon these two hold or hang the entire law and the prophets. You can take all of the 613 different laws and commandments that God then condensed to 10, and you can take those 10 and bring it to these two. <laughs> loving God and loving everybody else as well. That was what God had said. And so when Jesus said it is to love your neighbor as you love yourself, somebody stood up and said, okay, well, who is my neighbor? <laughs> who are you talking about then, Jesus? Who is my neighbor? And that's when he gives this parable because he knew be people in the 21st century. He knew there would be people in 2020 who would say, my neighbor is the one who looks like me. My brother is the one I grew up with. My neighbor, my brother, my friend is the one who gets along with me and has the same interests and we have the same origin and all that. That's my brother. No, God gives this parable to show you, no, that is not your neighbor. Because he takes a Samaritan who has
commit murder in our land because God said thou shalt not murder. Why is it illegal to steal something or take something that doesn't belong to you? Because God said thou shalt not steal. <laughs> Why do we have due process and everybody has their day in court? Because God says you need to try people and on the mouth of two or three witnesses that every word be established. All of our laws come from the law of God. All of our laws are based on God's law, on God's word, including the law of forgiveness. So you have this parable that Jesus gave. You have the second commandment that says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have all of the one another's of the Bible, the love one another, the pray for one another, encourage one another, uh, build up one another, uh, put up with one another. You have all these one another's in the Bible. You have the six out of the ten commandments that is about your neighbor. So the Bible has much to say about how we are to treat our neighbor. The Bible has much to say about how we are to love our neighbor or love our brother just like we love ourselves. And we see this even in the order of relationships in the Bible. The very first relationship that you will find in the Bible is the relationship between God and man. That is the very first relationship you will find in the Bible. The relationship between God and man. God made man, formed and fashioned from the dust of the earth, breathed life into him, and so it was a God and man. That's the first relationship you find. The second relationship you will find in the Bible is then between wife and man. God says it's not good for mankind to be alone, and so he creates woman, he creates Eve, brings her to the man. And so now you don't only have a relationship between God and man, you have a relationship between wife and man. But then the third relationship that you will find in the Bible is not between God and man or wife and man, it is between man and man. Neighbor and neighbor. Brother and brother. And so that go to worship the Lord, they bring sacrifice, they bring offerings. The Bible says that God accepts Abel's offering, but he rejects Cain's offering. This, of course, upsets Cain, and God says, why the sad face? Why has your countenance failed? If you do right, I will receive you as well. But if you do wrong, he says, sin waits for you at the door, and its desire is for you, but you can rule over it. You can Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel 
Well, in this particular case, God's will over thy will to the Edomites to let them know judgment is coming. I have stirred up all the surrounding nations to rise up and to come against you, to desolate Edom. Judgment is coming. Judgment is on its way. And so in verse 2, he says this, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. Why? The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the cleft of the rock, whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend on high, though you ascend to heaven, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down. The Edomites were a powerful nation. The Edomites lived in a fortified city. Their nation was high in the hills and the mountains, and they had hills and mountains all around them. They, they hid in the cleft of the rock. Now, anytime you built a city or you had your habitation somewhere, you wanted it high. Why would you want it high? Well, you wanted it high so you can look down low. And you can see any enemy coming. You can see any army coming, and they would have to then ascend up the mountain to get you. You could see that from afar. You would see that from a distance, and you would be able to prepare your city with that. So because the Edomites, they lived up high in the cleft of the rock, and they could see all that, they became prideful in themselves. And they said in their heart, who is able to bring us down? Who is able to cast us down and come against us? And God said they were deceived by that particular thought because they had forgotten about God. See, perhaps no man could bring them down, no army could bring them down, but they forgot that God would be able to bring them down. It reminds me of what they used to say about the Titanic, right? Y'all seen the movie, y'all know the story. Y'all know it was called the unsinkable ship. This is the unsinkable ship, and they would say, they would boast in their pride, they would say, God himself couldn't even bring the ship down. God said, is that a fact? <laughs> that, that a fact? Look, I, I can't bring that down, okay? And it is the same way that we see people of pride living even today. The lesson for this nation is the lesson for every nation, including Because right now, our nation, we believe we are too proud or too powerful. We are too big to ever stand. We are too big. Our army is too great. We are too wealthy to ever go down. And we have seen just in these last short few weeks how little it would take to bring this nation down. Rome was the greatest nation known to man. Rome. That's why Rome was defeated. They weren't defeated from without. They were defeated from within. And when you have a nation that has forgotten their God, who's walked away from their God, who thought they have become who they are because of them and not because of God, that is a nation of pride. That is a nation that is tempting God. That is a nation that is testing God. That is a nation saying, we've got this all by ourselves. I mean, we're rich, we're wealthy, 
hope is this. The only thing needed for evil to stop is forgiveness to begin. The only thing needed for evil, for evil to stop, or for evil to prevail, is for good things to bring evil. Good men to do absolutely nothing. It's like the law of Satan. You ever heard of the law of Satan? The law of Satan, who is the second law of Satan, I'm talking about the layman's term, it simply says that there is a gradual decline in the Christian if left alone. That's why the law of impotence uh, contradicts evolution. Because evolution says we evolved, we got better over time. Well, that's a contradiction to entropy. Because entropy says if left alone, you will decline into disorder, not order. For example, you can go to a car lot. This is an example that's fun to use to describe this to you. You can go to a car lot, buy a brand new car, drive it to your driveway, park it there, and leave it alone for 10 years. When you come back 10 years later, you will not have a better car. <laughs> you will have a rough bucket on your hand. Why? Because things naturally don't get better. Things naturally get worse unless something outside of it or beyond it intervenes. That's creation. And what is pre-naturally, you will discover, is also pre-spiritually. The law of entropy is is pre-naturally, but it is also pre-spiritually, unless there is some type of intervention from outside and source, things will gradually decline into disorder. In other words, things don't get better, things get worse, unless there is something on the outside of it suddenly intervening somewhere. That is interesting. And we see it running through the death cross. Mankind doesn't get better. Mankind gets worse. And unless there is some intervention, the law of entropy will take place in our very land. And that is what we are seeing. And so what God has done, what God has given, what God has instituted or established or ordained are three institutions to prevent
God has given, God has established, God has ordained in order to combat the laws entities and happenings of our world. The home, the government, and the church. So let me give you some scriptures that will back this up for you. We know that God established the home, the family, marriage, because we see this in the very beginning with the very first commandment God gave Adam and Eve. God told Adam and Eve, he says, I want you to go out, I want you to be fruitful, I want you to multiply or increase, I want you to fill the earth and subdue it and rule it. Now when Jesus told the disciples, this is how you pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Well, how is that going to come? How is the kingdom of God going to come? How is his will going to be done on earth just like it is in heaven? Easy, by his people increasing, being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth and subduing it. That's what it's going to be. So God said, I have established the home. Home and family and marriage isn't something that man came up with, right? God came up with this. <laughs> and he did it to come against the law's entity or to come against evil. This is described in Deuteronomy 6, 6. If you have your Bibles, they're open. Deuteronomy 6, 6. God says it this way in the commandment he gave to his people. He says, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, but not just in your heart, watch this, you shall teach them diligently to your children. In other words, you, you should be passing this off to your children, to your offspring, and shall talk of them when you sit in your what? House. <laughs> and when you walk by your way, when you lie down, that's when you go to sleep, go to bed, and when you rise up. You should be talking about these things that I have placed in your heart. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. God had established the home, the marriage, and the family in order to continue what he had placed in the heart of mankind to begin with. You are to take this and pass it on to your children and them to their children, and them to their children, and on and on and on. Do you realize this is the first time as a generation where this generation is cut off from the Word of God? The very first time. There used to be a time where there was nothing done on Wednesdays, <laughs> let alone on Sundays. Sundays was closed. Sundays were shut down. You couldn't go anywhere. Nothing was open. Why? Because I was the Lord. This world recognized Wednesday. They recognized Sunday. That being the Lord's day. And we've gotten further and further and further away from that. Where we are no longer passing down the word of God to our children, our children's children, or our community. And we are seeing this through generations. God says, I've established the home to challenge entity. I've established the home to come against the that would naturally protect a less than adventurous people. So he's given a home. Number two, he is also given government. You need to know and understand that God established government. God ordained 
biggest uh, debate that's going on right now is should we defend or defund the police? Should we defend or should we defund the police? Now, please, don't get me wrong. Every institution should be reformed. It should be. Every institution should be better, especially the police. The majority of the police out there, they do what they're supposed to do. They've been uh, uh, commissioned to protect and to serve, and that is what they do. But then, of course, like in any institution, you have those who are not there to protect and serve. You have those who are not there to to render aid and, and, and give law and order. They're there to control, okay? But you have that in every institution. Do you realize there's some bad pastors? You realize there's some bad preachers? People who are doing bad and wicked things? Now, we don't say, well, let's just get rid of the entire church then. We don't, we don't say that, do we? There are bad people in every institution. Why? Because there are sinners in every institution. There are people who do not know God in every institution. There are people who don't have the Spirit of God in them in every institution. And so we must deal with the root and not just the fruit. Even though there must be reforms, even though there are things that we can do, there must be something to police even the police and hold people accountable for what they do. That is true, but that does not mean we should defund and get rid of what God has ordained. How do you know God's ordained? And we'll go to Romans 13. Romans 13 lets us know that God has ordained not only the home and family, he's also ordained government. Romans 13, verse 1, it says this, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from God. In other words, if authority exists, it's because God allowed it to exist. Remember what Jesus said to Pilate? (laughs) Pilate is there interrogating him, asking him all these questions. He says, are you going to answer? Oh, we're going to have another George Floyd case in our hand if we just start doing that? No, 
the one who has the power, if the one who has the authority is terrorizing this work, then that's not authority from God. Because God did not give authority to terrorize good work. He gave authority to terrorize what? Evil work. So if you have someone in power and in authority who is terrorizing, who is bullying good work to somebody who has done no wrong and no evil, that's not an authority from God. Because the authority from God will be there to deal with evil, to deal with wrong. But, he said, do you want to be unafraid of the authority that I have established, that I have ordained? He says, well, then do what he says. Do you want to be unafraid of, a lot of people afraid of cops right now, afraid of the police right now. I can't go outside. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Do you want to be unafraid of authority, God says? He says, then do what is good. Put your hope, your trust, and your faith in God Almighty. Nobody can touch you. Nobody can do anything to you but God allow it to happen. You don't have to walk around afraid of the police, afraid of cops. Do what is good, the Bible says. Put your trust in God that he will keep you. Do what is good. Do what is right. And you will have praise from the saints. For he, the authority, is God's what? Minister. We like to call preachers ministers. Elders ministers. Missionaries ministers. But God says, guess who, who you also should be calling ministers? Police. Police. <laughs> because they too are ministers according to God's word. He is God's minister. Do you watch this for good? Now, if he is not ministering to you for good, that is not authority from God. But what God has established, he is saying, these are God's ministers to you for good. But if you do evil, God says he will punish you. Evil. If you do evil, if you do what is contrary to God's will, God's word, and God's way, God says, be afraid. Why? For I have established authority to deal with it. Because if there was no authority to deal with that, all hell would be breaking loose. That's what it is. Can you imagine us not having any police? Not having any law? Not having any war? We have it now. And we see all these fires, all these fires, all these things happening. People being shot, gunned down. And we had the police. <laughs> Can you imagine if we did not have the police? There would be total anarchy, total chaos going on. So I amazed me. Some people bring this up and they say, you have all these celebrities now saying, defund the police, get rid of the police, while they are protected in their own homes for security. Get rid of your church building. <laughs> you be the example. Get rid of your security. <laughs> you get rid of your detail. Let me. Let's see how that goes for you. No, God says, I've established this to keep and to maintain this law and order. But he says, if you do evil, be afraid. Why? For he does not wear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and an avenger to execute wrath on him who conquers. 
ordained the government. And then lastly, God is ordained and established the church. The church. Matthew 5, 13, Jesus says this about the church, disciples. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? Salt preserves. Salt is a preservative. They used to salt free before refrigeration to keep food from just fading. God says, I've established you to be the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, where we have corn oil today, the church has lost its flavor. The church has lost its influence. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It has been good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Not only did he call us the salt of the earth, he also called us the light of the world. So if we are the light of the world, as we said last week, then why is our world so dark and dull? Because the light is shining in the darkness. We're not preaching the truth. We're not preaching God's word. We're more concerned about numbers and mega churches and, and how we can make a name for ourselves and live in the big house and drive the fancy car. That's what we're concerned with. We are dimming our light because nobody wants to hear truth. Nobody wants to hear God's word, so I won't have a big church if I preach truth. So let me dim my light and give the people what they want to hear. And as we dim the light, the world gets darker. God says, I have given the home, I have given the government, I have given the church to counterfeit truth that is coming and we believe is already here. The Bible says that perilous times are coming. In the last days, in the end of days, there will be perilous times. People will be lovers of themselves, they have loved this guy. Lovers of money, proud, boastful, arrogant, disobedient to parents, all kinds of things that is listed here. And so we know that perilous times await each and every church. But I would have to think, I would have to ask, even though perilous times are coming, God's Back and forth, my apologies. I usually don't do this, but God has just given me bold. 
together and all by themselves. <laughs> Listen to this verse. We all came from the same two people, <laughs> from the same one God. <laughs> we all came from the same two people, which came from the same God. There's only one way to come at this thing. You should not be divided by What is the information, revelation, absolution? Remember he said, in the beginning, these are the three things you must have to get out of this series. The information is this. Edom was judged. Edom was judged. Even though they, quote, unquote, didn't have anything to do with Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, Edom, the brother of Israel, was judged. That's the information. The revelation is, yes, you are our brother's keeper. You don't hear anything else. You need to hear that, that we are brother's keeper, and therefore God is the same. And then the application simply is step up and step in. Step up and step in. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you, for all of us, it'll be something different. Whatever God has called you to do, to do. This is what God has called me to do, okay? God has called me to, to uh, equip those he has called for the work. This is what I do, okay? This is my platform. This is how I use it. But you all may have a different platform or a different calling or a different job or a different assignment or a different way to do it. But do something. Step up and step in to prevent the lost entity from happening in our land. Now, it could be some type of social justice that God is calling you to get involved in and that you you should be involved in, in some injustices that we see in our land and be involved in the governance of our land. But more than that, God has called us to spiritual justice. Spiritual justice. Because we can deal with the social justice all day, but it's just going to pop up again. Or it's just going to pop somewhere else because you're not dealing with the root. You're only addressing the fruit. Deal with the root, which is spiritual justice. Change the heart of man, and you will change the trajectory of the world. That is what God wants us to do in this thing. And so that is God's I remember watching a movie. I don't know if y'all remember. It's an older movie. I guess I'm dating myself. But it was called The Defiant Ones. The Defiant Ones with uh, Carl Weathers and Apollo Creed from Rocky and uh, Robert Urich. They were prisoners in this prison, one black, one white. And then they were chained. They were linked up together. And, of course, they didn't get along with each other because of the racial issues and all kinds of things. But when they got an opportunity to escape, they escaped. But they escaped being chained together. <laughs> and so throughout their escape and trying to find freedom and where to go and, and get on this train that's going to lead them to freedom, they're, they're arguing, they're fighting back and forth because they're not getting along. They're sworn, natural born enemies. And one of my favorite lines of the movie is when uh, Robert Urich, he calls him boy one time, and Carl says, the next time I hear you call boy, there better be one around. And this is how they went back and forth throughout the entire movie. But because they were chained, because they were linked, they began to build a friendship. They began to build a relationship. They began to see each other as people and not as foes. And they became so close, they became brothers so much where at the end of the movie, they come to this one house, this one family, and finally break the chain that bound them together. And the one family sent Carl's 
off in the wrong direction. So if you have the train is this way, you'll be free, but it was actually back this way. When Robert heard that, he jumped off to go get his friend to save him. And in the process of doing that, the little boy comes with a shotgun, shoots him in the side, and so now he's hurt, now he's missing, but he's looking for his friend. He says, hey, hey, don't go that way. They lied to you. That's not where the train is. It's this way. And so they go together to the train, and the train is coming by, and so Carl, he begins to run, and he hops on the train, but because Robert was shot, he can't make it. He's struggling, he's struggling, and Carl, he's holding out his hand this way, and Robert, he is trying to grab it this way, and in the scene, you can see their hands are almost touching. He's about to grab him and pull him on that train, but all of a sudden, he's missing. He can't make it, and he collapses who's on the train on his way to freedom. This is all over the world. What does Carl do? Goes off the train. Goes back to his boat. Back to his friend. Pulls him up, carries him to a tree where he awaits for the authorities to come. Robert says, I don't get it. I don't understand that. You were on the train with me. You were on the train. You were on your way to freedom. Why did you jump off? Why did you get off? Why did you leap off the train? Because I had you, Carl. You were pulling my train. I had you. You were pulling my train. I had you. See, when you understand that you are your brother's keeper, it will change the way you do the things. It will change the way that you 